Vinda there up at the China Market Research Group uh, in Shanghai. We were having problems getting through to, to him. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let me give you an update on the markets uh, for this morning. The SX200 in Australia down 0.2%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan off a quarter of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea down uh, three quarters of a percent. And it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 150 points or so lower uh, when trading gets going this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning on Money Talk as usual at 8 o'clock. Back chats coming up after the news. Jim Gordon, Mike Rouse this morning. Weather forecast for the day. Dry with sunny periods. Maximum temperature is going to be around 23 degrees. It's going to be fine and dry with cool mornings in the next couple of days. Windy on Tuesday and Wednesday. 18 degrees right now. And the relative humidity, 58%. Time's coming up to 8.31. Here's Carol Musgrave with the half-hour news. The Hong Kong Red Cross is appealing for donations to help people in Turkey and Syria two weeks after devastating earthquakes killed more than 46,000 in the two countries. While Turkey has now ended rescue efforts in all provinces except those hardest hit, the Red Cross says it still has teams on the ground working in conjunction with the Turkish Red Crescent Society to help the millions of people left homeless. Karen Poon, the head of the SAR's International and Relief Service, told RTHK that the cold weather and aftershocks were complicating relief work. We know that there are still a lot of people living outdoors. On the Turkey side, some of the affected people have been able to move to live with their family and friends that is in the less affected areas. But on the Syria side, because before the earthquake, a lot of the refugees or of the displaced person is already living in unsafe shelter, temporary tents, and this is very worrying. And we are mobilizing all of our support available to the area to help the people who are still living under cold weather. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has announced a further 100 million U.S. dollars of aid to Turkey following the devastating earthquake after viewing some of the damage from onboard a helicopter. He told reporters it was less about search and rescue and more about recovery and rebuilding. This is going to be a long-term effort. The search and rescue unfortunately is coming to an end the recovery operation is on and then there'll be a massive rebuilding effort uh, when you see the extent of the damage the number of buildings that have been destroyed it's going to take a massive effort uh, to rebuild but we're committed to uh, supporting Turkey in that effort the German war film All Quiet on the Western Front has won Best Film at the annual British Academy Film Awards. It took seven prizes overall, including for Best Director. The film Navalny won Best Documentary. The investigative journalist Christo Grozev, who made a large input into the film, was controversially banned from attending the ceremony in London after being told his life was in danger. The film is about the plot to poison Russia's opposition figure. His daughter Daria, speaking before the ceremony, said she was pleased the documentary was doing so well. My father has been doing incredible work for the past 10, 15 years and I'm happy that it's getting recognized and that there is a documentary that's being noticed by the BAFTA, by the Academy members. You know, it's, I'm, I'm just humbled and honoured. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. And good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the decline in Hong Kong's population. 
Figures from the Census and Statistics Department show that the number of people living here fell for a third consecutive year in 2022, with a net departure of about 60,000, or around 1%, to about the 7.3 million mark. The overall population drop was steeper than the previous year's 0.3% decrease. Also, the birth rate fell to a record low of 32,500, the third consecutive year that there were more deaths than births in Hong Kong. What is driving the population change and what can be done to increase the size of young families? We'll be talking to the experts and also talking about uh, people movement, immigration, people uh, leaving Hong Kong, people coming to Hong Kong. You can also have your say. You can let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And after 9.15, we'll be looking ahead to the deadline for the real name registration of prepaid SIM cards. Joining us uh, now in our Admiralty studio, we have uh, uh, Janine Mew, who's a lawyer and founder and ma managing director of the company UK Immigration Specialist. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. And, Thank you for having me today. And also, and we'll have another uh, immigration expert uh, on after nine o'clock as well. Um, and also on the line, we have Professor Paul Yip, who's chair of population health at the Department of Social Work and Social Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, perhaps, uh, Professor Professor Yip, we could come to you first. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jim. Good, uh, good morning, Mike. So, so thanks for joining us. Um, perhaps uh, you could just help us to uh, to set the scene, uh, really. So Hong Kong's been through a fairly traumatic period uh, in the past few years. Uh, w were there any surprises, do you think, in these latest figures? Well, it is not surprising because I think um, we have the number of deaths, our number, number of births, I think since 2020 already. So it is third year uh, of the road. I mean, that is, uh, we have experienced a natural negative growth. And also we also see um, the own migration, I think also um, has more people than the in-migration. So I think our population has declined since uh, 2020. Yeah. Uh, just talking about um, the, the death rate first. Um, so last year it was pretty high. Um, I think the highest for 10 years or something. Um, how much of that would you attribute to COVID-19? Because we've had more than 13,000 fatalities since the start of the pandemic. Most of them were during the fifth wave. So uh, what, what, how much of a factor was COVID in that? Well, uh, there's a saying we, whether the people, they die of COVID or mm. die with COVID. I think what we have seen, I think um, most of the death, I think, occur is among the older adults. And I think these older adults, I think some of them, yes, uh, during the fifth wave, we do have an excessive number of death among our elderly. But not m many of them, they actually they die of COVID. It is really die with COVID and because I think there are some other associated problems. I think during the fifth wave, I mean, we are talking about the disruption of the medical and health services, I think, towards the population. We are also seeing, I think, um, there is uh, some sort of, uh, uh, the, um, this, the services to our older adults has been disrupted and then which lead to 
other problem, but and they are not directly associated with COVID. So I think it's very important that I think we have to do the quanti- uh, we have to um, ensure the epidemic is um, within control, but at the same time, I think there are some unintended consequences. I think which might lead to the excessive death. Uh, Professor Yip, good morning. Um, when these numbers came out, the headlines were quite scary, things like crisis. Um, but to what extent should the government have a plan for the size of its population? Why don't we just I, leave th- things to go on on their own track? I don't think we can leave the thing just as it is, because I think, as you can see, uh, especially um, about their own migration, I think we are talking about... I think we have 60,000 people. I think uh, they have uh, the net migration, 60,000. Uh, 60, right. And, uh, and, and net Hong Kong. And I mean, most of them, I think they are the um, so-called economic active, the young professional, and then with the families. And, and, and it also leads to the shortage of the workforce in Hong Kong. I think we do need to work harder, I think, to retain our local talents, I mean, um, and also we also also work as hard, I mean, to attract the foreign talents, I think, to re-offset, I think, um, the net loss in right. our migration. So it's an, a, an economic dimension that we, we mustn't lose tr- sight of. Yes, I think it is. I think in Hong Kong, I think it's not only economic, I think it is a social issue as well, because when you see there is so much changes in the population dynamic in Hong Kong, it also led to some sort of social problem. I mean, when we see there's a lot of people leaving uh, Hong Kong, I think they're elderly, they're left behind, and also we talk about we have shortage of teachers and all these I think will have a serious impact, I think, to the sustainable development of Hong Kong. Yeah, this this mm-hmm. age profile, uh, do you think that's going to be seriously... I mean, all, all societies, all advanced societies, are seeing smaller families, though, aren't they? Yes, I think, we, I mean, aging is not new. I mean, every country is facing the aging problem. But I think the challenges in Hong Kong that it occurred in a such a short time and then it's such a large magnitude, I think, so it doesn't give us much time, I think, to respond, I think, to the challenges. Right. We, we, we always say that uh, um, over the years, Hong Kong's a place where people come and go. There's a lot of movement. Uh, uh, last year, there was that net uh, outflow of 60,000. Um, Janine Mew, um, you work with people who are leaving Hong Kong mostly, and uh, heading to UK yes. mostly. What's, what, what, what sort of people have you been working with? So um, I have been specialising in UK immigration law for the past 10 years. Back to when I first started my career 10 years ago, I was living and working in London. Um, I have to say at that time, uh, most of my clients are actually from China, Asia or other parts of the world. It was at that time not so popular for Hong Kong people to move to the UK. But then I think it was since 2014 and 2019 with the social movement where we start to receive a lot of inquiries, um, I would say, especially from middle class people who want to look for alternative pathway to the UK, um, who want to send their children to the UK for education. And that's where we start to see people looking for options to, you know, maybe move over their business to the UK, start working to the UK. And it was also, I think, by that time, before 2020, UK was still part of the EU, so that it remained very attractive because people see that UK 
is an option to you know to to basically opening up to the Europe as well. And then I think since uh, since Brexit, what is interesting, we start people we start seeing people not only interest in UK but also in other parts of Europe. So I've seen people coming to me to ask for Ireland and Portugal, where they 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 want to have a EU citizenship and they want to f- travel freely to the EU. And then since the introduction of the BNO scheme 2021, um, we have received like thousands of inquiries in that particular year 2021. And I think according to the um, latest figures from the UK authority, uh, these two years uh, just under the BNO scheme, there was like over uh, 140,000 people moving to the UK. And I think from my experience, I can see that in the past, my clients was usually in the age of like 40, 50 or even 60s. But nowadays we see more and more young families moving over. And I think that's uh, also people move over and give birth you know, to their children. And I think that was in response to your question just now, mm. why the birth rate in Hong Kong is dropping. Right. So they, they're having, still having children, but they're not having them here. Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, and what sort of experience have your clients had when they arrive in UK? I think it depends on how prepared they are. Mm. I think for mm. most of my clients, especially for those who have accumulated wealth in Hong Kong or business, I think they have to have that, you know, preparation, mental preparation, that they are going to give up what they have in Hong Kong and start from scratch in the UK. Um, but I think a lot of them is coping quite well, especially if you are settling in big cities like London or Manchester, where you have a lot of supports, um, you know, from the local council, or even you have a very big Hong Kong community that they're finding themselves, um, you know, settling down quite well. And I think for them, the most important is their children. Um, before, as you may know, many people would send over their kids to the UK for boarding school. Mm-hmm. Now that because they're all moving over as a family, um, many of them start looking for stay school and they start make friends with uh, local people in the UK. Well, both Portugal and Ireland are having another look mm. at those uh, passports for money scheme, basically. Um, is that beginning to have an impact on your work or are they still popular? Well, very good question. Last week, the Ireland and Portugal government have actually announced to close the scheme um, from last week and the applicant only have a very short buffer period to apply. Um, what is interesting, you know, from the official uh, web, uh, data from the government of Ireland and Portugal, a lot of the applicants they receive, say Ireland, 90% come from China. But actually, even in my experience for the past year, we receive inquiries from Hong Kong people who want to obtain Irish citizenship or Portugal citizenship and interestingly is that for those kind of client they are they might not be even looking to move over to Ireland and Portugal they only want to invest in Ireland and Portugal because Ireland only required to uh, resign Ireland for one Canada day per year and Portugal only seven days per year so for those people I think they remain in Hong Kong because they still see Hong Kong have some sort of uh, competitiveness for them maybe for their career or their business and they just want to purely make the investment to obtain the EU citizenship so even since the Ireland and Portugal announced to close the scheme last week, we still receive a lot of inquiries, people wanting to catch the last submission date and want to sort of, you know, get a citizenship for their children or even the next generation. I have one client asking me if they get the EU citizenship will then be able to pass to their grandchildren. So you see, they are thinking very far, not only for the next, but even after next for the grandchildren. Do you get any inquiries from people saying, OK, I've got my passport uh, in this country or I've got enough paperwork in the UK, 
Can I? How about helping me come back to Hong Kong? Um, not that so much I have received, but I have to say, since the introduction of the BNO visa, because there has been like so many people moving to the UK, um, I know that you know um, there has been a discussion as to whether or not people would move to the UK and come back. But I think the 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 number that I've seen is actually very very minimum. Right, quite quite small so far anyway. No great no great numbers in that area. Professor Yip, I wonder if I could pop back to you for a minute. These things that Janine's been saying and that you were saying earlier, what is the effect on community morale of these numbers? Well, I think it's, um, I think it is, um, it would not be good. <laughs> I think as we are losing our colleagues or we have difficulty to uh, fill up our position and also uh, we see our loved one or their grandchildren and then they live I think uh, they leave Hong Kong. No? So I think it is. Um, uh, it's. I think it is important. I think to create this sort of connectiveness because now it seems that when you have a lot of people they moving out, I think it has created a bit of disconnectiveness. I think in the society. I mean, we are talking about their beloved uh, the teachers. They may have left. I mean, uh, and then also this of um, those. The social fabric, I think, has been altered because of this uh, excessive number of uh, people, I think, leaving Hong Kong. Hmm. Uh, like you, <clears throat> excuse me, like you say, um, population planning uh, is very important uh, uh, for the government. Uh, <clears throat> We've seen lots of predictions about the economy picking up uh, in the second half of this year. Do you think the uh, administration will have to start thinking about uh, uh, you know, a possible uh, end to an outflow and, and, and maybe people coming back? Or, I mean, there are various schemes to attract new talent to, to come to Hong Kong, aren't there? So, so how, how do you think uh, the direction of uh, future planning for that will go? Well, I think we did, uh, I mean, to getting people in and then to slowing the people living out, I think they are not competitive. I mean, they are, they should be go hand, uh, uh, hand in hand. Uh, uh, but I think that the, um, the common factors, I think, for both is to make Hong Kong to be a livable city. It's a place that where they like to bring up their family. It's a place uh, when they feel uh, happy to live in and then the quality of life will be improving. I mean, the, I think that is the major concern. So I think what we really have to address, I think, is to try to understand a bit more I mean, why the people are leaving and also, I think for those people who have left, I mean, uh, we still have to connect them. I think if um, we welcome them back, I think we also like to create, I think, uh, um, uh, more opportunities. I mean, for both local and for the foreign talents as well. I mean, especially for the foreign talents, we do not want them just to come here for 12 months and then they left. No, they will really raise a lot of the 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 effort you know, to bring them in you know, if they're not going to stay here for a long time. So I think that is the, it's a continuous thing that we have to engage I think these relevant parties and then uh, make them they're happy to stay in Hong Kong. Right. What are we seeing now in terms of age of marriage and size of families? Well, I think the age of marriage, I think that it has been um, both uh, the male and female, they are delaying 
their marriage. I think now, I think the median uh, age of marriage, I mean, for men is about 32, and then for the for the women, it's about 30. And also, there's less people getting married too. So I think that is directly have an impact, I think, on the fertility, I think, in the population. So I think what we have to do, if we really like to solve the low fertility problem, you have to encourage the young people to get married and then to get married earlier. And we do know that there are a lot of barriers, I mean, for the young people to get married in Hong Kong, especially, I think, in in terms of the housing problem. So I think that is something that we can look at. Uh, Janine Mew, um, in Hong Kong for a place to uh, raise a family. I mean, ha- um, ha- how does it compare with, um, say, uh, places in Europe which you've uh, mentioned already? I think the housing price is definitely the main consideration, you know, as we just discussed, people are getting delayed to get married. And I think um, from what I can see or friends around me in the similar age, I think housing price is a main issue because they, they find themselves, they don't only want to rent a property, but they want to buy a property, um, but, you know, they might not have enough funds. However, I've seen a lot of, say, young families, my clients, moving over from Hong Kong to UK or even to Europe because the housing price in Europe is like half of Hong Kong. You know, say if you have a property in Hong Kong, you sell it out even after mortgage, you could probably buy two properties in uh, UK or even if you go to Portugal, you can maybe buy three properties. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why people look for alternative, you know, in UK and Europe, because the living cost is lower. And although you might not be le- earning that much in Hong Kong, but with the lower living cost, I think you get less pressure. So the, the family budget it actually feels better. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how about education services? Education services, uh, as many of my clients mentioned, you know, going to UK is definitely for education for the next generation. Um, UK has been a very popular um, destination for education for a very, very long time. And I think many of the parents before, if they want to send over their children to the UK, they could only probably afford boarding school, which, you know, um, and call a significant um, expenses. Nowadays, people can move over. They can study free of charge in UK, you know, from kindergarten, primary, or even to secondary. I think for a lot of the family, it was very attractive to them. But also, I think what is interesting is that not only the UK, even Europe, like Ireland. Um, I went to Ireland for a service trip just before Christmas. I speak to some of the Hong Kong students in Trinity College, the biggest um, universities in Ireland. And, you know, I asked them, you know, why do you come over to Ireland? Why do you not choose UK? or other parks and they say that because of Europe because they want to study in a Europe country and Ireland is like the only English speaking country where they can see a lot of you know European lecturers students and I think they they people nowadays are getting you know very well planted they, they want to write in their horizons and have better you know experience from all over the seas. What about the restrictions on the benefits to the BNO uh, people? Uh, is it? I, I'm a little bit unclear about what they are. Is it that they can't get unemployment benefit or? They can't measure? get any benefit until they obtain permanent uh, residency in five years' time. So actually, for people who move over from Hong Kong to UK, I think they need to be prepared to have you know some sort of savings that could help them you know survive and right. live at least for the first year before they can find a job. But the but the children get to go to school free. Go to school free, yeah. And then you get uh, free medical as well, NHS service. Oh, well, I'm glad I paid in all those years. <laughs> um, uh, Paul, yeah, because we've got the budget coming up uh, this week, um, um, is there much that you think the 
the uh, financial secretary could do to make the make the environment um, uh, more child friendly, um, you know, more conducive to raising a young family? Well, I think if the financial secretary can get a bit more tax support, I mean, tax, uh, tax reduction support, I mean, to the young family, I think it is is important. And then I do hope I think they do not um, just uh, just wasting I mean, the money. I mean, to some uh, some of the measure they are not they are not effective. And also we hope them they can invest a bit more on the lifelong training fund. I think that especially for our young people. I think some of them they are lucky to get you know university, but for those people who may not get you know university, and hopefully they still can have the resources I think, to continue to develop their life skills. I think to face the challenges, and also it is a gesture. I mean to show that we do care for them. I mean, I mean, I mean that is very important. I mean, how we can make the young people. I mean, not to leave Hong Kong. I mean, it's just to just to let them feel that I mean it really matters to us, and then we really care for them, and then they have not been forgotten. Could we do more? Do you think on? Uh to support working mothers, maybe with uh, kindergartens and uh, well, baby yes, crashes? I, yeah, I mean, the government, I mean, well, uh, I mean, uh, a few years ago we did a study, I think, on the child care provision. I think it had been shown to be highly inadequate and also is very expensive. I mean, so I think if the government, I think, can provide a bit more support, I think, to help the young professional mothers, I mean, they can come out to work and then to make sure that pursuing their career and then raising a family, they are not competing business. I think they, it can be done together, but I think it only can be done, I think, with a very strong commitment and support from the government and from the business sectors. No? I think the point about the business sector is, is critical. Actually, the governments, governments can do things, but it's what the actual lady finds from her employer, the environment in the office um, at, well, and the factory, wherever she's working. Well, I think if the government can take the lead, I mean, uh, uh, I think that then I think they will follow. I mean, uh, like we have this uh, breastfeeding facilities, uh, how the family-friendly working environment, how the mother can have a bit more flexible, I think, working schedule. And also, they, I think there's a support for the whole community as well. I mean, if your colleague always have this uh, flexibility and, and then if you're not supporting this, I think that will create some sort of problems too. Now. I'm intrigued why, why the reluctance of well-educated, the, the better we educate our children, the more reluctant they are to have children in their own turn. Well, I think we just talk about the opportunity cost. I mean, especially in Hong Kong, it's um, such a very competitive and also um, a very, um, I mean, this is, you really need to have a lot of financial support, I mean, to raise your family, you know. But when you mention about the family size, you know, you can see now our family size is always decreasing. But now the number of pets, you know, I mean, they, are, they prefer I mean, to keep pets you know, rather than keep children. You know? So I think that is the... Those statistics uh, are very interesting. The number of cats and dogs mm -hmm. seems to yes. be on the rise and the number of children is declining. Something like, OK, let, should we have a child? Nah, maybe not. How about another dog? 
Both of them are expensive, no mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, um, Janine uh, Mew, we yeah. mentioned a, a tax just now. Uh, of course, um, Hong Kong does have a very simple and low tax rate, of course. Um, um, much lower, I think, than most, certainly most uh, European countries. Uh, um, how much of a factor does that have to be in people's financial planning if they're going overseas? So for people moving to the UK, financial planning is a very important step even before they make the visa application. As you know, in the UK, um, they have the global tax system. But if you move over to the UK, uh, you know, if you resign the UK for over under three days, you then become UK tax residents. But then I think a lot of my clients are concerned about the global tax. You know, say even they move to the UK, they might still have property, rental income or interest from their investment. And I think a lot of people is starting to aware that in the UK, you can actually claim remittance basis. So for the first seven years, if you are not actually moving over your access to the UK, you do not have to tax, you only have to declare. But um, it is certainly, you know, one of the important factors where I would advise people to speak to tax advisors um, before they decide to move to UK or even other parts of the world. Um, because then, you know, when they move over, they don't want to be taxed on overseas income. Mm. Oh, wow. And, so, and in terms of salaries tax as well, I mean, the UK has a, like a, a, a pay-as-you-earn system, right? It's, yeah, it's so you start from 20% and then mm. when you get higher income, uh, I, I think it was reached, raising about 40%. Mm. Mm. So that's quite different compared to Hong Kong. It, it certainly is, isn't it? Okay, well, well, well thanks very much. Um, um, uh, I, I think both of our guests are staying with us uh, after 9 o'clock and we'll be joined uh, by two others as well. Um, we've got to take a, a break in a moment. Uh, for the uh, nine o'clock news summary. Uh, we'll be back at three minutes past. Um, if you want to get in touch, it's uh, backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 Um A quick uh, look at the weather now. It's going to be uh, dry with sunny periods today, top temperature of around 23 degrees, moderate northeasterly winds. The outlook, fine and dry with cool mornings in the next couple of days. Uh, windy on Tuesday, that's tomorrow. Windy uh, tomorrow and on Wednesday. It's currently 19 degrees, humidity 54%. Welcome back to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning in our main topic, we're talking about the decline in Hong Kong's population and the reasons for it. Uh, birth rate, uh, immigration and other other factors. Uh, we have to say uh, thank you to Professor Paul Yip, actually, who could only stay until nine o'clock. He was with us uh, before the news. Paul Yip is Chair of Population Health at the Department of Social Work and Social Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, still with us, we have uh, Janine Mew, who's a lawyer and founder and managing director of the company uh, UK Immigration Specialist. Um, also, we have with us uh, Florence Tang, who is uh, General Manager of the Eversharp Group, which provides uh, migration services uh, uh, into and out of uh, Hong Kong. And also uh, Rita Lee, Associate Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Shuyan University. Um, Rita Lee, perhaps if we could uh, just uh, ask you first. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we mentioned before the break, uh, we've got, of course, we've got the budget coming up this week. Um, uh, what, we don't know what's in it, but I mean, what sort of measures do you think the financial secretary could take to try and make uh, the, you know, the environment for, for having more children, uh, bringing up a young family more conducive? 
Well, uh, actually, if we try to look at the other places uh, around the world, like for example, in a small town of the Nacho, for example, in Japan, where they have got the double in the birth rate from 1.4 to 2.8 children per woman. And then uh, the main reason is that because they have got very good uh, baby bonuses and also through the allowances, uh, which actually cause a, a half of the national average to send the child to like nursery, for example. And then if we look at like South Korea, for example, in Seoul, they provide uh, 300,000 won, which is uh, equivalent to 275 US dollar as bonus every month since uh, 2020 uh, to infants in the first year. Uh, and then uh, and also some uh, gradually expanded to about uh, 457 US dollar by 2025. And so as like there is like uh, some other uh, which includes like uh, they have got uh, some of the bonuses of like 91 US dollar for each child under the age of seven. And so as they actually plan to uh, provide some of the uh, congratulatory allowance for the, each of the pregnant women uh, from uh, 500 and uh, from 550 to 900 and uh, uh, 16. Uh, right. That is an increment. Yeah. So there are things, the message here is there are things government can do to make it more attractive to have uh, children or at least to reduce the disincentives. By yeah, actually allowances. there's like kind of like uh, much more incentive. After all, there's like, uh, you can see that uh, the experiment, natural experiment in Japan, that it works. And then, uh, uh, of course, it is not just about uh, money. Because uh, there are some other uh, things, like for example, uh, time is an important issue. Because, uh, like for for example, South Korea, uh, Japan, for example, they they actually have got much more culture about like part time job that is available. So that can start from the government because uh, for the private companies they have the other concern, and then for the government probably that some of the works can be much more flexible. Uh, work from home can be possible, and then so that the parents have got more time to take care of the children. Right. What about uh, we heard. Uh, about the numbers uh, in the first half of the program and about the people who are leaving. A lot of this was uh, available from the announcements about the findings. Um, what are the macroeconomic effects? Well, uh, the main problem is that because a lot of these, they are actually uh, they are, uh, uh, talented people. Uh, because they, uh, as otherwise that they may find it difficult to migrate to other uh, to other places, and uh, you can see that each uh, one of the main impact is the impact on like for example shopping mall is very clear. So if you go to most of the shopping mall around the city, you may find that in recent few days, uh, not just recent few days, actually, it's like for a long time already, uh, there is a there there is a drop in the number of the uh, population, uh, uh, drop in the people who are in the shopping mall. And then uh, those who are working for like restaurants, that they also uh, record a job in the uh, total amount of revenue in a lot of the restaurants. So I think this is the, uh, the main economic impact is the reduction in the expenditures and then later on the reduction in the tax income, actually. Right. Well, that makes it the financial secretary's job even harder then. He's getting uh, less revenue. Yes, that is uh, actually a, a hard job now. The main reason is that because of the reduction in the uh, in these kind of the uh, taxes and so as, however, there is an increase in the uh, uh, in the payment for the allowance of those like they have no job uh, or like uh, they have got they uh, they that we have got less people who are uh, who will be falling into the uh, to the tax rack. Okay, uh, Florence Tang. Good morning to you. 
Morning. Florence, so, Florence, you've actually been in our Admiralty studio since uh, before nine o'clock, so, so, so thank, you for, thank you for your patience. Uh, now, you're Managing Director of the Eversharp Group, and that provides a, a number of services, including migration services, uh, principally between this part of the world and Australia, is that correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah. okay. So what, what sort of a flow of business are you noting at the moment? Um, actually, um, we have been working for the migration, and then actually there's many mainland China clients will try to come to Hong Kong. The reason is, um, if you have heard the news, actually um, the government have um, executed a top talent pass scheme recently. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, more talent can be come to Hong Kong. So this is the main part I'm working at at the moment. And at the same time, I also help many clients try to move to Australia, migrate to Australia. So Hong Kong is, uh, in your experience, uh, an attractive destination for people from the mainland who want to join the top talent scheme or, or who just want to uh, come and work here, you know, for whatever reason, yeah? Um, actually, yeah, many Thailand come to Hong Kong and then um, also work because actually many people migrate outside. That's why the companies less talent. That's why they have to replace more talent from mainland to work in the Hong Kong companies. How do we make Hong Kong more sticky as a place? There's no point having these great schemes to attract professionals into Hong Kong if it's, they're going to use it as a springboard. It's going to go straight out again one or two years later. How do we make them stay in Hong Kong? Um, actually, Hong Kong, there's many benefits. Because um, once you get the term-free um, citizen card, and then you can already enjoy the benefit like education, um, some medical as well, which is the other country not really you can do that. Like for Australia, you have to be permanent resident before you can do the, um, get the medical system and enjoy those benefits. But in Hong Kong, um, once you're temporary, you can enjoy some of the benefits already. That's why it's a good thing. Right, Janine, maybe I can come back to you. What, are you noticing any changes in the trends uh, in recent months? Um, is the UK still supremely popular or because of the BNO or is that beginning to tail off in other countries, Canada traditionally, um, mm. and the US? Yeah, I think because the BNO scheme has already been introduced for two years, as you may know, in the first year, it was like really the top time where everyone who want to move, uh, including those people who want to move before, but, but they might not have a suitable visa scheme. So I think a lot of people already moved in 2021 and 22. And actually, if you look at the official figures from the UK authority, the people who moved on the BNO, even I think in the last quarter, only dropped to under like 9,000 compared to what we have before. But then I think for people who then remain to Hong Kong, as I said, I think they, they remain in Hong Kong for certain reasons, but I think even they remain in Hong Kong, they still want to look for other citizenships, like Europe citizenship. I think it's now common for people, you know, even if they not move, they want to sort of have a, another second or third uh, citizenship for their children. They want to have the foreign passport. Mm. That, yeah, that's been a trend for a long time. I remember working on this in the government in the 19... Wow. <laughs> so, so, so Rita Lee, we've heard that a, a, a lot of young professionals are leaving. How much of a concern is that going to be to the administration and um, what can they do about it? Problem is that because uh, they uh, because of the job uh, the uh, the job in the 
uh, expenditure powers, where uh, the sh- uh, shopping power, for example, and then uh, actually there are a lot of uh, a lot of businesses that they may find it uh, uh, much more difficult to uh, to do their business as compared to that in the past. Uh, but then uh, still that uh, Hong Kong is still attractive in the sense that we have got like relatively low tax rate and so as uh, uh, the tax is not very complicated so that uh, it is still uh, attractive even though it is not as attractive as people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Florence, um, Australia, so what is the attraction of Australia to people who want to move there? Um, many people concerned about the weather in Australia because um, it's shiny, there's sun. That's why uh, many people like to um, migrate over there. Um, compared to other countries like for Canada and sometimes UK is a bit cold. That's why when they try to um, consider which country is the best, that's why sometimes they reconsider Australia. But we have sun in Hong Kong. <laughs> It's a, I, I guess I guess it's a it's a lifestyle, isn't it? It's yeah, the a, lifestyle as well, in... and we got koala bear, kangaroo in yeah. Australia as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What about um, um uh, okay? I mean, interesting that that's a, an important factor. Uh, uh, what about um, you know, um, the ec- economic incentives? Australia, I mean, uh, uh, you know, obviously it's a part of the developed world, but ha- I mean, how about opportunities for people moving there? Um, actually, um, in Australia, there's some investment program as well, so that's why our client we try to choose some investment migration because um, the government they will have subsidy and different kind of support, so um, can create some job opportunities, helping the economic. So that's why people will choose Australia. What about mm. salary levels? Um, actually, our minimum wage is the highest in the world, like in Australia. That's why uh, many people like going to working holiday just to um, properly work in the farm, but they can get pretty good wages as well. Mm-hmm. So wage levels, about, how about the cost of living? Well, um, it depends on the city. If you're like um, just, uh, Sydney or Melbourne, the cost of living is quite high because the housing price and things like that. However, if you choose some um, other cities like Adelaide, Perth, the cost of living will be lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, j- just going back to uh, Europe, uh, Janine Mew, you mentioned uh, Ireland and Portugal. I- Ireland being the uh, the only country in the still in the EU where where English is the main spoken language. Uh, but so, so, where does Portugal fit into that picture? Well, the comparison between Ireland and Portugal is mainly because of the number of days that you have to resign the country. So some of my clients they decide to choose Ireland because basically you only need to go there for one day per Canada year and so you get the you know the long-term residence status like a PR but then if you want to get a Irish passport you have actually need to stay there for five years you know very long time mm. Portugal fit into that because for Portugal no matter you want to get a PR or a citizenship you only need to go to Portugal for seven days every year or 14 mm. days per mm. every two years mm. so so some of, some of my clients they offer Portugal because they decide they just want to buy a property in Portugal like a hotel or a residential property and then they just go there for seven days say a summer or Christmas holiday and then after five years you need to pass the Portuguese exam and then you get the citizenship and it's also not only for yourself your children or even you can bring your parents so free generation Wow what about the fringe English-speaking places I'm thinking Cyprus or Malta 
I think they are comparatively, um, you know, less, um, how do I say, less favorable because I think for people who would opt for like Cyprus or Malta, I think it's really people who just want to buy a citizenship, but they, they, they might not consider moving there. But I think even for Ireland and Portugal, although my client only want to invest and get the citizenship or PR, I think it is, you know, the, the, probably the top two countries in Europe where people would think, ah, maybe I can move there for retirement or in the future compared to other. Okay. All right. Well, uh, that brings us uh, to an end uh, to this part of the programme. Thank you very much for joining the programme. Uh, Janine Mew there, a lawyer and founder and managing director of the company uh, UK Immigration Specialist. And thanks very much to Florence Tang, general manager of the Eversharp Group, uh, which provides uh, migration services uh, uh, to and from here and Australia. And also uh, thank you to Rita Lee, associate professor, Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong. Shuyan University. And uh, for the last uh, 15 minutes or so of the programme this morning, uh, we're going to turn our attention to a different topic, and that is the approaching deadline this week for a real name registration of prepaid SIM cards. Uh, now, you've probably heard about this. I'm sure you've heard about this. There's been, there's been lots of publicity about it. And uh, we've been playing uh, announcements uh, on Radio 3, daily announcements. We've got a countdown coming up until uh, to Thursday this week. And to tell us more, we're joined uh, on the line by Chaucer Leung, Director General of Communications at uh, Ofco. Good morning to you. Thanks very much to, for joining us. Uh, per, so perhaps uh, you could just uh, just give us a, a little overview to begin with uh, of what's going on with this uh, real name registration process. Yes, uh, the government has de uh, decided to implement the real name registration program for SIM cards and the start date is uh, March last year. It covers uh, all SIM cards issued by local telecommunications operators for person-to-person -person communication in Hong Kong. All the new SIM cards right now are required to complete registration before use. But for those prepaid SIM cards which has been used in, uh, before March last year, there's a transitional period of 360 days uh, for users to complete the registration. As the transitional period, as I just mentioned, is going to end on 23rd February, this first day. Mm. So user of unregistered prepaid SIM card should complete the registration as soon as possible in order to avoid any service impact. Mm. Hey, good morning. Can you give us an estimate, a broad estimate, of how many of these SIM cards you think are, still haven't got real name registration? Uh, yes, uh, we have a lot of prepaid SIM cards in the market. Uh, they are mostly used for short-term or for backup or to provide uh, data usage additional to that of the service plan SIM cards. So according to the uh, implementation experience in Macau, for example, uh, a large portion of prepaid SIM cards would not be registered ultimately. So right now our uh, focus is to remind users who would really like to keep uh, the prepaid SIM card, uh, need to take action now uh, to complete the registration before the deadline. Uh, so far, nearly uh, 12 million SIM cards have been registered. They include both uh, service plan SIM and prepaid SIM cards. Uh, we will announce the ultimate uh, registration number with breakdown after the closing of the registration deadline. So I, I've, got a, I've got a big black hole here in terms of knowledge. I've never had a, a, a prepaid SIM card. What kind of person buys them and why? Yeah, maybe uh, 
uh, as what I said, actually, facilitating that is uh, a kind of very convenient tool for us to communication with others, especially for those, for example, uh, visitors. They come to Hong Kong, they would like to uh, use uh, the local theme uh, because for a better, uh, better tariff, uh, so that they use it for short term, and also it could the case that uh, people would like to use it uh, for uh, additional uh, data usage uh, uh, to uh, back up uh, their uh, regular service time teams. Uh, of course, we can rule out the possibility that uh, some uh, citizens would like to use it because uh, the, I mean, uh, the price of the prepaid card is, is relatively cheaper as compared with those of uh, the service time teams. Mm. And Mr. Lung, there's a limit on the number of, uh, of uh, registered SIM cards that uh, users can have, isn't there? Uh, yes, uh, it's true. For prepaid SIM card, we have uh, two limits. Uh, for corporate user, they may register up to 25 prepaid SIM cards for each uh, telecommunications operators. Mm. So as there are about uh, 30 telecommunications operators offering the service, a corporate user uh, telecally can acquire hundreds of prepaid SIM cards from the market. And also uh, it's the case that there's no upper limit for users to subscribe to the service plan in part. Uh, for uh, individual users, uh, the limit is 10 be facing cuts for them uh, so uh, they can acquire over 100 if they want uh, from the market. If they're they're prepaid, I'm sorry if my ignorance is showing here, if they're prepaid, then presumably from time to time the holders need to top them up. Yes. Can't that be a simple enforcement thing that you you can't top it up unless you've real name registered? Uh, yes, actually, I think you have um, mentioned a very good point that uh, we have already implemented such a requirement uh, when it is approaching uh, the uh, deadline of the registration. Right now, if uh, um, users would like to top up uh, their prepaid card, they are required to uh, do the real name registration uh, before uh, the top up can be successful. Now, real name registration, that's with the government, or can you do it in the 7-Eleven or wherever you're topping it up? Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you, you, you can do it uh, by buying uh, some, uh, uh, something like something like a cash coupon. Uh, you, you just need to input uh, the, I mean, the number, and, 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 and in the interface, you're required to do the real name registration uh, before you can add the amount uh, to your uh, stored value of the and then you can register at, uh, at post offices and uh, MTR stations, is that correct? Yes, there's, mm. there's a, a variety of channels for uh, users to choose. Of course, the most simplest one uh, is to use uh, the SMS sent by the telecommunication operators, uh, which is embedded with a hyperlink for registration. So they can uh, access the electronic registration platform uh, for uh, for the registration. Uh, alternatively, they can go to uh, the retail outlets of the uh, telecommunication operators in person for registration. As you rightly point out, uh, we have already uh, offering support services uh, in um, 18 designated post offices and also 25 designated MTR stations uh, to help uh, users uh, to complete the registration. What is the government's underlying concern about uh, non-registration? I mean, somebody must have said this is a problem. What is the problem? Yes, uh, actually, 
the real name registration program uh, aims to pack the loophole arising from the un- anonymous nature of prepaid SIM cards. Uh, because, uh, because of anonymous nature, uh, crimes such as uh, phone scam or and calls are quite commonplace. So it has, could assist uh, law enforcement agencies uh, in detection of crimes involving use of uh, SIM cards. Uh, the program would also safeguard the integrity of our telecommunication system and actually ultimate uh, aim is to protect our telecommunications users. So it was a, a, there was a crime concern that even though many ordinary users were, were just using the facility, there were people mal, mal with bad motives who were using them as well. Uh, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. But, but anyway, because uh, without uh, the identity, uh, the, I mean, the uh, law enforcement agency uh, could have real difficulties in, in uh, uh, identifying right. them and, and trace them down. What is the practice in other other economies? Uh, yes, actually, uh, about uh, 160 countries or regions uh, in the world have adopted uh, real name registration for SIM cards. So it clearly shows that uh, such an arrangement is a mainstream telecommunication regulatory regime. Right. But why are we so slow to get round to it? Uh, I think, uh, you know, there, there is a lot of concern about implementing uh, such a scheme. But uh, finally, we sort it out and we implemented uh, two years ago. And it takes time for us to uh, build the registration platforms uh, uh, by all the uh, telecommunication operators. And also, we need to allow a, uh, a grace period for the existing prepaid SIM card user to complete registration. Uh, right now, the grace period is about uh, 360 day, uh, 60 days. So it, uh, it's going to come to the end of the grace period. So um, the scheme will be fully implemented starting from uh, this Friday. And I understand um, OFCA is uh, organising help for, for elderly, the elderly and people like that who may need it to, to go through the registration process. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yes, Good. actually, we have a lot of uh, efforts uh, put in place to help out uh, the elderly uh, people. For example, we have been in cooperation with social welfare organisations and NGO uh, uh, so that we can pay visits to elderly centres and residential care homes for the elderly uh, for talks and also on-site registration. Uh, we also offer the train-the-trainer sections to over 200 social welfare agencies and district organisations so that the staff or volunteers could help up the uh, registration for their service recipients. After the deadline for real name registration, what, what is the follow-up? How, how would you stop people using their old SIM cards? Yeah, if the uh, deadline is over, all the prepaid SIM cards unregistered uh, cannot be used because uh, the telecommunication operators will deactivate all the unregistered SIM cards on 24th uh, February. Yeah, oh. and I, I noticed from your website as well, you're also advising uh, users that uh, some service providers may require registration actually before the deadline. So yes, a, actually, mm. they require, uh, for example, uh, for all the new SIM cards, uh, they is not yet activated. If you try to activate it now, uh, actually, uh, there's a mandatory requirement for registration before mm. use. Mm. 
Sure. So if uh, so if the deadline if the deadline passes and you haven't uh, done the real name registration and your SIM card is deactivated, uh, as a user, uh, what can you do? Deadline, but uh, after afterwards, they really want to use uh, the SIM card, uh, in particular the mobile phone number again. Uh, they they may retrieve the hyperlink previously provided by the telecommunications operators via the SMS to complete the makeup uh, registration. Mm -hmm. uh, they may also go to the retail shops uh, of their uh, telecommunications operators for uh, registration. But I would like to uh, highlight that uh, in any case, uh, they will suffer from uh, service of and the actual lead time for service resumption will quite depend on the number of requests received by the telecom uh, operators during the same period. So you have to move quickly to preserve the value? Mm. Uh, you mean the uh, store value of, yes. of the card? Yes, as long as it's not expired, the uh, store value is still here and you can do the registration uh, before the deadline and, and the store value can, uh, can be used again. Okay. All right. Well, well. thank you very much for explaining uh, all of that and joining us uh, on the programme. And, um, and uh, good luck with the uh, prepaid um, real name registration of uh, prepaid SIM cards uh, programme. Uh, that was Chaucer Lung, Director General of Communications at uh, OFCA. And just uh, before we go, I'd like to say thank you to my uh, co-host, Mike Rouse. Well, I think the f I knew you understood a bit about the first subject, mm. but the second one was a complete black hole. So uh, sometimes you, it's useful to be ignorant. Uh, <laughs> You've got to <laughs> catch up on technology a bit, uh, Mike. <laughs> it's, uh, anyway, anyway uh, OK, let's have a quick look at the weather before we go to the news summary and brunch with Noreen. So today... Um, it's going to be dry with sunny periods, top temperature around 23 degrees. Uh, moderate northeasterly winds becoming fresh easterlies later, occasionally strong offshore. The outlook fine and dry with cool mornings in the next couple of days. Windy on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's currently 19 degrees, humidity 55%. One is perfect for a solo. With two, you can play doubles. The more, the merrier. How about a quartet? You could even form a basketball team. How many children should you have? The choice is yours. Be sure to plan ahead and plan it well. Call the Family Planning Association of Hong Kong on 2572-2222.